Love Talk Radio. Great joy, my friend, and good afternoon. The Nepalese Meditation Bowl is chiming, centering your mind and delight on the art of the CEO. The show that brings you the most fascinating and really the most helpful people in the business community from around our terrestrial orb. I am Bart Jackson, the Hieronymus Bosch of business, and today we're venturing forth traducing your ears and palate out of our studios to the Maxwell Fish Shop, home of six generations of Maxwell who have, who have been fishing the clams, oysters, crabs, and the full bountiful harvest of the sea since practically our seventh president, Andrew Jackson, was in the White House. So bring along your adventure some knife and fork. And come journey down to the town of Port Republic, New Jersey, where the broad Naco Creek eases the Maxwell boats out into the Mullica River Bay on New Jersey's southern coast. You ever want to enter a fish door where the front screen door swings wide for customers like you and the back door sprawls wide out into the ocean where the slender pier uh, holds ties down the Captain Curtis Maxwell fishing boat and it pulls in all the harvest of the sea, well, my friend, walk this way. All right, and we come into the Maxwell's Fish Store, where you look out one side, and it opens right onto the feeder creek of the Mullica, where the boats go, but the first thing you have to do when you arrive is... Get the, get the subtle attention, subtly get the attention of Bridget Maxwell and Kim Mag and Mom Kim Maxwell, and um, Kim has been here for 30 years, which means she started when she was two, and um, she's been a family. Kim, yeah. tell us a little bit about uh, what you've got in this beautiful long display cases. Is it all your own fish? Well, we harvest our own clams and oysters, and that's local out here, along with crabs. Mm-hmm. We have a local crabber right. goes out to Great Bay, ah. and he'll bring in um, the catch. Mm-hmm. Um, we also have um, homemade crab cakes that oh. I make. Now I see you have before you this whole list of of, of, of these envelopes of special things. Are these <laughs> things that you make? They are. Okay. We make Give our me. own Manhattan clam chowder. Right. We it. do stuffed shrimp. Crab mm-hmm. and period. I've stuffed myself with shrimp. This is good. <laughs> right, this is very good. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have stuffed flounder, oyster stew around Christmas, and um, our crab cakes. And I I, I okay, now you mentioned the crab cakes. Now what I want to know, Mom, yes. is how hard does this young lady standing next to you, is, does she join in the cooking? or does She does. All right, good for you. I good try for you. to teach her all that I know, and she uh-huh. loves it. And she jumps right in, and yeah. she does a great job. So, yeah, I try. <laughs> this, ladies and gentlemen, this is where you want to come because things are homemade according to recipes that go back to the time of Andrew Jackson's presidency, and uh, we. Uh, and but actually, the food is, is the fish are fresher than Andrew Jackson, right? Oh yeah, we oh, get that oh, in oh, much more fresh. Good. Oh, oh, thank goodness, that's good. And uh, so I, I can tell from the shell mounds out here that you, uh, these are all yours that you brought in from the catch, right? Not all of them. Some of them we do um, buy, and we use all the shells to go out. Uh, it's called shelling, and we huh. spread the shell out over the uh, river. 
So huh? that's when the oysters spawn, they catch oh, on to that. It's sort of like seeding. Yeah. Right. So like probably about half of those out there mm -hmm. are ours that we've like come in and called off and had to get rid of and so it's just like a continuous recycling of the stuff that we So it's not going to work if I try to seed my driveway with these things like I probably said. Not. Probably not. You're probably I not going to okay, get any right, oysters right. with that. <laughs> uh, actually, but to go on, where do you seed the oysters? Um, well, these ones will throw out into the river uh -huh. and that would be the Malka River and we about, go out around. About how far from, from where we're standing is that? You could see it from where we're standing. All right, so right, right out there like the boat's slow, so it might take you about like <laughs> 20 minutes to get out there. Yeah. And then there's a couple. My wife's husband is like that. You know, she's, she's <laughs> never fast enough for her. Yeah, yeah, got But uh, so you do. Uh, you go out and and uh, you put the shells over, and that enhances the seed. Yeah. So that'll be when they're spawning, and you put them over, and that's how the oysters um, will catch onto the shells, and that's how they grow. They always grow into big bundles, like clusters. And then when you dredge them up, you have to use like a little hammer to get them all apart. Oh my gosh! Yeah, yeah, it's, it's like trying to separate people at the prom. I remember that. Okay, thank you. So you have stepped out to the front end and had your first taste of the Maxwell's Feast of Wisdom, and also uh, a little bit about how these fisher folks dredge up their harvest onto your table. And so whether you are a prison inmate turned Cambridge criminologist trying to reshape our miserably failed prison system like Walter does, or perhaps if you're a microbrewer slicing a profitable niche from the big bland beer boys like Chris does, please pull up your chair, come a little closer, and allow the art of the CEO to help your career thrive and your ventures flourish. And today... Uh, your listening ear and agile brain are making pilgrimage uh, with us to the rem uh, remote show at the Maxwell Shellfish Store, just f uh, minutes away from Exit 48 in the Garden State Parkway. And definitely, uh, you have seen these sumptuous uh, goodies uh, from the store now. And what we want to do is to make a little bit of, a, of an idea and find out what the, what's the sweat and the labor and the magic all involved? Ever wonder about that? Well, listen to John Maxwell along with wife Kim and daughter Bridget. Uh, I think now you get up in the morning with the tide. What, what, time, uh, what part of the tide do you go out? Do you go high tide? Or? Well, uh, we, we actually kind of have to work around the uh, daylight hours. Sure. And, yeah. and, uh, so uh, I usually... Right now, I'm usually getting up right around 3:30, something like that. Now, Bridget has told me, as she has squealed, that you and many of your family literally sleep with the tides. You you feel the tides, and is that true? Uh, you, you can't. It, it really is sort of something like like that. You can almost feel it in. If it really starts to, uh, you have like an easterly mm -hmm. or something like that. You can really feel it in oh. around you. You know it in your blood. Yeah, huh? you know it in your blood and in your bones. You can really feel like. My you know, goodness. Yeah, it's just odd. I it's, mean, I don't know. It's something we've noticed. Uh, yeah, I know. Well, I have several friends who can always tell when their wife is coming home. But that's <laughs> it's the same kind of thing, I guess. It's like yeah. a, an easterly or some other sort of storm. Yeah. yeah. Now, so you go out on the boat. Okay, you go to, and the name of the boat is. Uh, we have we have uh, uh, two boats that we oh. use. Um, they're both named after my grandfather. Uh, grandfathers. Uh, Which is? Uh, Captain Curtis Maxwell, that's our 42-footer, uh -huh. mm -hmm. and Captain Joseph Dayton is my 30-footer. Now, so you take the boat out, and uh, 
you don't you still don't operate by the old clam rakes, do you? What do you no, do? No, Come, we, give uh, us a schedule. What do you do in here? Because we're oystermen, we catch oysters. Mm-hmm. Uh, we use power dredges. Mm-hmm. Um, right now, we're using the smaller of the two, the the, the thirty footer, the Captain Joe Dayton, because mm-hmm. uh, it's a little quicker and stuff. We have we're under a harvest schedule. I see. By uh, defined by uh, Is this state law. Yes, mm-hmm. uh, by DEP, and uh, mm-hmm. we, we have an hourly uh, time that we're allowed to go in and out. So uh, from June first until September first, we have to abide by that. The rest of the year, we can go as long as early as we want, mm-hmm. as late as we want, and that type of thing. We have to be in here by uh, noon now. Okay. So, uh, you get on the boat, you've got the power dredges. First of all, how, how, big, how many uh, folks go out with you? How's your, how big is the crew? It depends. Um, um, uh, typically, uh, as few as two and no more than four. So, and and what do they do? Go run through the duties. We usually have a guy who's captain. Who's mm-hmm. the captain? That's usually myself. Um, and then we have a, a, a guy who works on the dredge. And then we have another person or two mm-hmm. who actually what we call call through the oysters. C U L L. In other words, we'll bring the oysters in everything in shell when oysters come aboard, mm-hmm. and you have to pick through the oysters through them, and we call it calling. And we have to pick them out and count now those them. Are, and you have used uh, the previous catch, Bridget was telling us, that you used that previous catch to seed or uh, to seed the bed? Yeah, effect. that's true. We have actually beds in the Mullica River and in Great Bay. And the Mullica River uh, is, where we, uh, is where the seed oysters are caught. And because it's a freshwater environment, they only grow to a certain uh, uh, Size there. Right. Yeah. And then and this is the, yeah, they have to be two inches in New Jersey, don't they? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Three. Oh, three uh, inches. Yeah. I'm when sorry. we if we bring them down to uh, the uh, uh, Great Bay, Great Bay in the uh, in the mouth of Monica, the Gravelin Point, or across uh, the bay on the other side, which is mm-hmm. uh, Crab Island, and we sure. we put them out there, and they'll grow up fairly rapidly there. Well, what's it's rapid now? A year. Okay, so in a year, you're going to get... Now, a seed oyster is one of those that just... He is wild. You you have not come out with... No, you don't do, buy wholesale or no, seed, do no, you? No, we do culture. We, we, we'll put down shell, and uh-huh. and the, 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 the oysters that we have already on the ground will spawn, and mm-hmm. they'll, the, the larvae will attach to uh, that shell. Those mm-hmm. oyster larvae will swim for two weeks before they attach to anything. Really? Yeah. So this is, in effect, wild-caught wild yes. caught oysters, as opposed water. to when you go up to Cape Cod Bay, yeah. for instance, or other places, they buy seed, they put them in, and yep. they have them in nets and so yes. forth and so on, so they that's, can't, I mean... That's more an aquaculture. So. Yeah, yeah, that, yeah. This, is, this is not you at all. The, no. You are the wild-caught, you are the traditional yes. in so many ways. Yeah. Great. Okay, so you, you've got, the, you're, you're culling the oysters, you're bringing in... Uh, New oysters, they've got to be three inches long to be valid for sale, uh, or you sh- can ship them to another other state where it's, it's shorter. Uh, uh, or, or don't yeah. you do that? No. Okay. And uh, so you on a on a on a good day, what will you bring in? Uh, give us a. It, it, would, it would depend. Um, I think uh, we typically will catch between uh, three and maybe five thousand in a day. Wow. Okay. Sure. And uh, what is it now from there, to whom do you sell? Uh, mostly local places, other wholesalers, really? other restaurants, uh, 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 restaurants in the area, uh, 
other wholesalers that distribute to other mm -hmm. restaurants. That's mostly what we do. Okay, so would I, where would I find, I'd find your... your uh, uh, up and down the coast of New Jersey, mostly. All up and down the coast. Would I find you in New York because of some of the wholesalers? Yeah, we, you might find us in, in New York. Uh, okay. Now, do you do, uh, do you ever do any clamming off this boat? No. Okay. <laughs> uh, clamming is a strong man's game, right? I I, I, I did that for a number of years. Oh, I, really? I, I, yeah, I raised, I, I started out as a, as a clammer when I was a kid, uh -huh. and uh, then I was an aquaculturist. I raised clams for a number of years. Well, tell us how one goes about clamming with a big clam rake. Describe that for the for the gang, would you? Uh, they used to call them the tools of ignorance, if I remember right. Uh, <laughs> Uh, do they, really, they make them in Washington? Yeah, or? yeah. Um, basically, uh, you you would have a a, a rake with a basket in uh -huh. it with teeth, and it ha it, when I first started, they would have wooden handles on them. Oh, all right. Yeah, and um, and you'd have like a what they called a nib, which would be like a T, mm -hmm. a wooden T on it, and like that, and you would really literally throw it over the side of the boat. Uh -huh. And it would go off on like an angle, and it's right. more cute okay. angle. Uh, and then you shove, you go back and forth. You actually pull it. It would oh, go like it. this. Oh, I see. It would I go like see. More like a, a raking pull. Like that. I got gotcha. you. Oh. And um, uh, that would gather the clams, and basically use the wind and the tide to kind of move you along, and oh. you would drift. The, I know some guys would anchor up. If they got on a spot and they would they'd work off an anchor and they would mm -hmm. just push themselves around on it. Right. But the way we always worked traditionally out here in Great Bay mm -hmm. was we would kind of use the wind and tide to move you across an area. It go, it's the difference between working hard and working smart. <laughs> well, you can obviously see that shellfishing is not uh, a game for the faint-hearted nor for those who do not enjoy both brains. Uh, along with some fi fine muscled arms. So now you can see how to, uh, how it's done. Why don't we dig in a little more knowledgeably into the business of Maxwell Shellfish, and we're going to show you how things get laid out and how they bring them in on the boat. But to help you gain a little understanding, I think it may uh, help us to take a sorbet and to turn to some utensils to help us uh, with a little thought and uh, make all this knowledge slide down a little more smoothly. And first, if you are joining us, you are listening to The Art of the CEO, which every Tuesday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time streams magically through the mightily misunderstood realms of cyberspace, where you may listen and download this and all our episodes by visiting blogtalkradio.com slash the Art of the CEO. <laughs> That's blogtalkradio.com slash the art of the CEO. And as a second utensil, it is time to steep your lips into a little laughter and taste a scriptural recitation from the 102 best business quips books. So let me, okay, here we go. I got, I got the cup. I think, oh, no, 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 no. Okay, here's one, here's one. This is number 12. A professional claims to be able to talk masterfully about some valuable skill. A tradesperson merely claims the ability to perform it. <laughs> and, as, and as an afterthought, it's vital to be able to explain your service or product to a potential client in two uh, easily uh, understood sentences. But beyond that, your prospect will doubtlessly be much more impressed by some good solid examples of past jobs rather than all the jargon saturated dissertation you could ever give him. Just a thought. 
And if you smirked a bit over that quip, we have them literally by the books fill, books full at bartsbooks.com. That's just go visit B-A-R-T-S-B-O-O-K-S dot com and pick up a copy of 102 Best Business Quips or our previous 101 Best Business Quips and you will have a whole new quiver of social ammunition that's going to make you the clever tongue, green-eyed envy of all the chain gang at work, guaranteed. As a third utensil, Appropriately, I think we should entitle this the oyster spare. We proffer you the answer of last week's business quotation. That is, what was the name of the uh, person who noted courage is what it takes to stand up and speak? Courage is also what it takes to sit down and listen. <laughs> Those words were spoken by none other than the powerful prime minister who guided uh, Great Britain through the Second World War, Mr. Winston Churchill. And later on in the show, blurting your way, comes another enriching quotation. And if you are among the learned souls who knows the author of that quote, simply scribble down that sage's name as you believe him or her to be and email that right off to info at bartsbooks.com. That's I-N-F-O at B-A-R-T-S-B-O-O-K-S dot com. And if you are correct, your knowledge will earn you a marvelous gift freshly disemboweled from the dungeons of Bart's Books Bookstore. Um, so, with utensils at hand, grab your fork, and let's discover uh, how the Maxwells, uh, once they've got the, the catch on the deck, let's find out what they do next. After they come out of the dredge, they come up, and, and you count them. You literally sit there and count every cotton-picking oyster that's over three inches? Uh, well, yeah, you have to. Uh, right. You know, it's we, we, how we sell them, we sell them by the hundreds. And oh, okay, you don't it, sell them, not by the bushel of the pound? No, 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 we don't sell anything by the bushel anymore. They, they did years ago, uh-huh, and um, they kind of got away from that. And uh, oysters are sort of down like uh, the seafood du jour. Right, you know, that's true. Very spe- specialty thing. If you go into a restaurant, they'll probably have like four or five or six different yeah. types. Right. And and uh, basically, that's the kind of niche market that there is in the United States right now. And it's become, it it, it it's kind of moved from being a regional market to more of a broader market. This is this is true. And so I was wondering, could we now? Because we have tasted them, or we have a house up at the Cape. We've tasted them up there. And I was the famed Wellfleet oysters. I was wondering if we could go down and try some of yours and make a comparison. Sure. Uh, Let's do that. All right. And so now we move on to matters of taste. So put on your lobster bib. Join the Maxwell family as we all sit down and dig into the scrumptuosities that are and slurp them off the plate and let your palate decide. Okay, now, John, you have just, John is just, uh, John, well, actually, Kim and Bridget and John have just laid before us a huge feast of, of oysters and clams and all kinds of wonderful things. But now, these oysters are what? They are, what are they? They're there? from uh, Gravelin Point. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of our, uh, it's a, maybe a little fresher, but tasting oyster. Our, mm-hmm. our Crab Islands have a, a, a saltier taste. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. You know? Now, we have had, um, my family has been vacationing up at the Cape for about the last 75 years, and so what I'm curious in, we, we know the wealthy oysters, and now they have first, now from the beds that they have, from the farm beds, they have right. first encounter and other things. How, how do you think they compare? What's your opinion? 
Um, geez, I tell you what, I think we have a really tasty oyster. I think so. <laughs> <laughs> For yeah. the stuff that I've had uh, around, um, it, it just so happens to be that the uh, the area of, of where it is, the uh -huh. influence of uh, of uh, the fresh and salt coming together. Oh, I think okay. it just has a unique flavor, and, and because uh, of the creek, which is uh, because uh, of the river, yeah, yeah because uh -huh. of the, because of the river, and uh, for whatever reason, nothing that we've done, it's just a happy accident, really. Is yeah. there? Do you think there's any difference, wow. just generally, between the mm -hmm. oysters that we have here? Mm -hmm. And and the the farm raised oysters. The, is there any difference um, or not? What taste wise? Yeah. You're about? Um, yeah, I tell you, some of the I, I I think some of the farm raised stuff tastes a lot alike. You know, right. uh -huh. it, it, it's hard to distinguish them. Right. I think I think these we have are, something that have a more these wild are flavor. Has a, Carol Lorraine, what is your opinion? What do you think about these oysters? What is you? How do you think they compare with you both at Wellfleet's? What do you think? I think the taste is is really superb. I, I think these are much better. I really. All do. right. There you go, have it, ladies and gentlemen. Come to Maxwell. This is National Taxidermy Week. Come stuff yourself. Like uh, he was, he was your great grandfather. He's my great grandfather, Alan uh, Edward Allen. He would uh, sit down and eat uh, about a hundred what they called mediums, which were big clams for breakfast. God, he might probably burn six thousand calories a day working like hell. So, but yeah, he'd open them. He'd have them. He'd open them for rolls and had them for breakfast. Oh God! But you're saying that the uh, the women work beautifully uh, at, at, with the knives. The guys just knock Ooh. off the bill that's the front edge of the oyster mm -hmm. and just rip it. I, I remember we had a customer who had a, like a rasp, a rasp on a on on like a board. Ooh. Yeah, he would uh -huh. take the oyster and get like that, like that, mm -hmm. knock the bill off and get it in like that and open it like that. <laughs> oh my God. That was a place over in the city. No matter no, no matter how you do it, it goes to show the good tastes come through all methods. Right. John, your family's been telling stories about you. I understand that when you were three years old, you were lashed to the mast? Seven. Seven. Oh. <laughs> okay. Not lashed at the mast, but to the mast. What, uh, what were you doing when you were seven years old on the boat? Um, we, were, uh, we were working on one of our, our bigger boats at the time, and we were moving oyster seed from the Mullica River down to plant it in, the, in Great Bay. So I was helping out. I would be, I would be a, a shoveler, basically, so the dredge would come in, we would uh -huh. dump it. We would shovel it back on the boat, and then we moved down into the bay. We would shovel it off and plant. Oh, so that, that's your your new seed. So yeah. this is this is not just going out by chance and finding where things are. You have a nice. Oh yeah, you know, no, we have we on. have um, leases for the state that they're all mm -hmm. plotted out. Like, right. You'll, you'll see are are they all are they all taken up? If I said, gee, I'd like to. No, no, no. Right you on. can uh, you can apply for a lease anytime in the state. Okay. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, and. Um, so anyway, yeah, it's something that we've done for quite a while, and uh, we, we we're it's just like farming. Right. It's really uh -huh. just like farming. I mean, we we rotate where we plant. Mm -hmm. You know, it has to after we harvest. You know, where we take it up. So you'll we have you'll to let it rest. You'll come through. You'll harvest fresh from various places. Right. Then you take it to your plot in uh, up in the Mullica, right. and uh, you'll dump the the dump the dredge now. Um, 
I understand this tradition has been passed on to you, Bridget, right? Yeah. Are you? Do they lash you to the mast? Or? <laughs> no, they didn't do that. But oh, okay. Yeah, he's much nicer. Maybe, maybe you have better balance. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I think he didn't like it himself, so. Well, now, but what do you do? And you, you dump the dredge. Tell about that. How do you, yeah, like how do you if do it's that? um. If it's my dad and my grandfather and me, my grandfather run the boat and then he'll like sit there and call through it, like mostly just like watching me like as I dump the dredge and then shovel all the oysters back to him so we can go through them as we're working. So you shovel them back and, and meanwhile someone is calling and pulling out yeah. the, the saleable oysters, yeah. of which you, you said you'll get three to... Yeah, it, it would depend on what kind of day, how long we work. Right, uh-huh. You know, uh, we're, we're in the summertime we're usually always pressed for time. Yeah. We, we, we have to get out early, be out there early, and be done early. Uh, in, the, in the other months, it's a little more flexible, and it's a little more, and, and it's, you know, you can go uh, a, a, a little more often, that type of thing. You really have to go whenever you can. When you can. So now, like today, we could not go today with the weather like this. So well, the, the, the weather looks exquisite. I'm looking at your window. It's, though, it's, uh, you see that flag? It's really blowing. Uh-huh. Go like, we can't work in that kind of wind. Oh, oh, really? That kind of so the wind yeah. really makes a difference. Yeah. Another thing that might make a difference to you, and I, I'm I'm interested in your opinion of it because I know you're trying to run a sustainable business as a good farmer. How do you think the DEP, the, the Department of Environmental Protection, handles things? Do you think their laws are good, bad, and different? What are some problems? Problems. Well, I'm also a, a public officer. Mm-hmm. I serve on uh, a couple uh, DEP councils. Mm-hmm. And uh, really, to be honest with you, I mean, they've done everything hand-in-hand uh, um, hand mm-hmm. with the industry and that type of thing. And uh, it's a bit you think of they've got the best interest yeah, at heart? Yeah, it's been a productive thing. I mean, it, they have uh, they have the responsibilities that they have to do. And, uh, and uh, really, I mean, we follow the laws and, and uh, it's it a pretty it, good job. I mean, So you think it is... It, and because of that, you're getting a sustainable industry yes, yes. rather than a great glut, and then everyone runs off to a roof. Yeah, we we uh, we were actually fall under the Bureau of Shell Fisheries, right. which is in uh, the the Division of Fish and Game. Mm-hmm. And because of that, uh, um, you know, they they they're are overriding. Uh, uh, so the uh, yeah, they're they're under the umbrella. Of, yeah, of, yeah. So so we the we're under them and. Uh, the Bureau, and they're actually right, right located right over across the creek over oh, there. Okay. Uh, they do a really good job, and uh, I'm I'm the uh, chairman of the Atlantic Coast section oh. of, the, of the New Jersey Shell Fisheries Council. Great. And as that, I also serve on the Marine Fisheries Council. So, oh, so you actually you you've got your foot in the private industry and the public governance camp. Uh, well, yeah, yeah I'm right. a volunteer. Right. Uh-huh, yeah. And, uh, yeah, you're, yeah. Oh, in other words, you're like me. You get paid what you're worth. Yeah, nothing yeah. right. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm. Uh, I, I'm uh, also a. Uh, uh, I'm on the Agriculture Advisory Council also, right, which goodness. is another uh, 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 advisory right. committee that is set up okay. to uh, advise in agriculture matters. So the Maxwells have, for six generations, harvested oysters and clams from the shore bottom. We and are, have enjoyed them. Uh, we, the public, have enjoyed them all these years. You are enjoying them now every time you go out. So here's the question. Will you be able to in the future? Will you be able to start a business, or will you be able to eat them further on? Here's their thoughts. 
So, John and Kim, what do you think the future is of the shellfish industry? I mean, it, it, so many people have had, uh, so many areas have had uh, great uh, red tides and pollution and a lot of dwindling. Um, the government has to control, there has to be some control to make it sustainable. What do you think, what is the future of the shellfish industry? Well, let's just say along the Jersey coast or, or along the whole East Coast. What would your thoughts? Um, on the Jersey coast, I think it's probably brighter than it has been in quite a while. Really? Uh, yeah, oh. just because of the fact that uh, I think uh, people are starting to recognize its value. Right. They, did right. It, they may not have recognized before, and mm -hmm. it's been in the in the last few years. There's been a, a real movement, and you see some a lot of more younger people coming into it, hmm. and mm -hmm. so I, and, and a lot of more college-educated guys getting into it and that type of thing. So. Uh, it used to be our youngest guy might have been around 50. Now it's like <laughs> there's a, there's quite a, a a bunch of millennials in it now that are, are really? much younger. Oh, yeah, that's great. So uh, yeah, I think it's actually and it's like I said, it's kind of it's expanding now and and uh, the state has been very helpful in expanding it and that type of thing. So I think it's, well, I you, think it's a lot better. Would you say that I, as a young uh, young person coming in looking for a trade, I could. Uh, could, could I and my family could make a good living at it if we? Uh, I, you know, it's a, it's a lot of work. It's oh, a, yeah. it's a lot of work. It's and uh, it's, uh, but now I think uh, this is probably if you get the tide in your blood. Obviously yeah, you I bet, and I also think it's more, you know the way things are going. It's more of an entrepreneurial type of economy that we're having now, anyway. Absolutely. And that I see that where I think that people may had always thought, well, I'll get a traditional job, and like that. Well, the traditional jobs aren't really quite there anymore. And no, and you're not going to get a pension from them either. That's right. 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 And so I think there's, as, as people start to recognize that, and, our, and we've seen our children start to recognize that, and, and their guys that they're with and that type of thing. I mean, well, it's sort of changing. Well, depending on whose survey you believe, the average person will hold his job between 3.4 yeah. to 4 years. Obviously, the pension... Is, is not what people are, are even thinking of and have in mind. But here you've got an entrepreneurial thing, and you can get a state blocked out lease. You can lease a, uh, mm -hmm. a bond, and if you learn the trade and talk to the others, is there, uh, you, can, you can handle it. Yeah. yeah. So there you have an entire world of business working around you. The whole shellfishing industry, as seen through the eyes of one of its longest-running families and one of its most caring and knowledgeable folks. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, as we round out today's feast, I want you to know that I am Bart Jackson, your curator of business wisdom, leaving you with today's business quotation. Now, who was it who said, A man generally has two reasons for doing a thing. The one is the one that sounds good, and then there's the real one. <laughs> and as a hint, this hard-nosed plutocrat author was the only person rich enough to buy Andrew Carnegie's U.S. Steel Empire. And remember, if you know the author of this quote, just write his name down as you believe him or her to be and send it off to info at bartsbooks.com. That's I-N-F-O at B-A-R-T-S-B-O-O-K-S dot com to win an absolutely power-thrusting, career-changing gift from the dungeons of Bart's Books Bookstore. And as a parting shot, in the words of my wife's husband, I've tried working with my hands, and I've tried working with my brain, 
And I'll tell you, the only time I've ever achieved anything is when my heart fits the two of them together. And to you, too, uh, folks out there gleefully sharing our feast, I hope that you've enjoyed The Art of the CEO as much as um, I and The Art of the CEO team and the Maxwell family have enjoyed bringing it to you. And remember, you may download this episode and all our shows at blogtalkradio.com, The Art of the CEO. And finally, to you who have honored us with your time, may I say, as always, it has been a privilege. I thank you.